Al Jazeera Podcasts. In a way, the Palestinians do represent the whole world. And I think through immense carnage and unspeakable sacrifice, maybe the Palestinians watching all of this can change the entire world. Taking center stage today is Peter Oborn, a respected journalist and political commentator. He's authored a number of books, including The Rise of Political Lying and The Triumph of the Political Class. He was the former chief political commentator of the Delhi Telegraph and writes a political column for Middle East Eye. In today's episode, he discusses the role of the media in shaping the narrative around the war on Gaza and the growing divide in the West between the political stance and the public opinion. Peter Oborn, uh, thank you very much for joining us for Centre Stage. It's an honour to have you here. Um, I'd like to start this conversation off with a few of your words. Now, you said, at times of crisis, the job of the statesman is to resolve problems, not inflame them, to show wisdom and to ignore popular clamour, to remind all parties of their obligations under international law. So my question to you is, how have Western governments handled this situation since October 7th? I'm afraid the uh, Western governments have disgraced themselves. Um, but uh, being British, uh, t- to see uh, Rishi Sunak, the British Prime Minister, go to uh, Tel Aviv after leading Israeli politicians have started to make really terrifying genocidal statements and say we are unequivocally with, uh, with the state of Israel. We, we, of course it was right for Mr. Sunak as British Prime Minister to go and express his immense sympathy and, and love for the, uh, the people who died and express his shock and horror and express support. But just given an unequivocal support, um, was the wrong language. He should, a statesman would have gone and said, look, you have to respond, but no, uh, be wary. Don't commit war crimes. Don't kill innocent civilians. Uh, And that is what the uh, British and other prime ministers around the world did. The President Biden has been particularly, has been a tragic figure, I'm afraid, in this uh, business where he's questioned the statistics of the people killed in Gaza. He's um, gone on giving sort of, un- sort of immense sort of military aid. He-, he has blocked. I mean, I think this last few days have been horrible. The blocking of the humanitarian ceasefire by the US president. Uh, I think this is turning into one of the darkest moments in American history. Well, they do have the elections coming up next year as well, for 2024. How will this affect Biden's run next year? Well, I'm not an expert on American uh, politics, but you read... Well, you also have the UK elections next year. We we do indeed. Um, Well, let's in that case just have a little brief glance at Kirstama, the Labour of the Opposition, which is the great um, progressive party 
in Britain. And of course, uh, Sir Keir is a very distinguished uh, human rights lawyer. And this disastrous moment, which I think will come to haunt him for the rest of his life, when he was asked if he supported uh, collective punishment, um, which the Israelis were talking about very early on, you know, dep deprivation of food, water, and he said, yes, they have the right to do that. Uh, it was uh, horrifying to hear Keir Starmer. He had an opportunity as the leader of the Labour Party in Britain to be a standing rebuke to Rishi Sunak's slavish support for the for the actions of the IDF and the Israeli state. And he, and he didn't take it, he didn't know how to take it. And so there is, it was a matter of despair at that point for uh, the conduct of the British political class and of course the British media class, the newspapers as well. Well, let's talk about the, um, the political class and the ongoing divide with its people. And I think what's been interesting to see is that you have hundreds and thousands of people in support of Palestine, but when it comes to the political class, it's the total opposite. So what's this saying about the gap between the politicians, politicians or the, the government and the people, and not just in Britain, but in the Western Hemisphere? Uh, yeah, I've been on uh, the march, marches. My, my wife, my daughters have been on the marches. And to be called by a British Home Secretary, Sir Weller Braverman, hate marchers, um, is unforgivable. It was framed uh, as the Palestinians were terrorists, uh, the, the enemies of all, everything that is decent. And all we were doing was marching for peace. And so there's, I mean, we've seen the horrific images and, you know, marching so that babies wouldn't be killed, bombed. And to be called, and so there is a, and this kind of language by Suella Braverman, the Home Secretary, was supported by, um, by the Prime Minister. It was, and if you read the newspapers, it's supported there, you know, the, the marchers get vilified, a tiny little episode, you know, every march that's ever been attracts some people who go slightly you know, behave badly and that gets massively... But they'll focus in, they'll zoom in on that one who's yeah. acted badly and then tar a brush with the rest, and it's unfair. Yeah. So what you have, if you look at the opinion polls, is, you know, you have 70% of, of people wanting a ceasefire, British people, very sympathetic to the uh, plight of the Palestinians. And yet the mainstream media, it's almost 100% behind the Israeli bombardment. And the mainstream politicians are 100% Labour and Tory behind the Israeli bombardment. And this shows a, 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 a terrifying gulf. It, it reminds me in some ways of the Iraq war. Um, and uh, when, when uh, we got these, these marches then against the invasion of Iraq, uh, and these were very powerful moments and uh, Tony Blair, of course, the then Prime Minister, paid a, a very high price in terms of his reputation. And I think Britain paid a very high price for being slavish to the United States. But nothing to change. Well, we are, well we, we are paying that price again because we are clearly 
I'm very proud to be British, or I was. <laughs> and uh, I felt, I always believed that being British means being decent, fair-minded, observing the rule of law. And actually, the thing most of all is supporting the underdog. Yes, the Brits are known to go for the underdogs, whether well, it's in life, <laughs> sport, anything. But on this occasion, it seems to be the total opposite. And so what our government is shocking. Um, and I don't think they represent the British people, but they do represent Britain. I listened very carefully to Antonio Gutierrez and all the other speakers, but what he was saying... He was so angry about the ceasefire that the UN had been, General Assembly had been ignored. And he said he's going to go on trying. But what I think he was doing was saying to Biden, this is on you. And let's imagine that the law courts decided, decided it's a genocide. President Biden's decision to veto a humanitarian ceasefire will mean that America has aided and abetted a genocide. Now, isn't that a moment of total shame? It should be. Well, it will be. I mean, I, we can't say I'm just... And so that was a terrible moment in American history. The same, I'm afraid, as a Brit. I didn't like Britain abstaining. It's an act of moral cowardice. So why, why did they? I mean, they know that their people aren't happy with what they're doing, so why, why aren't they listening to them? Well, they you, see, uh, they see what's happening, but they're going against it. What they say is, uh, there's two things. Let's, I mean, what they say is that the statement should have had a condemnation of, uh, of Hamas as well. But look, think of it like this. this. As we speak, and it's so horrifying, I can't sometimes... As we speak, there are children dying in the rubble. It's chaos, carnage in Gaza. And yet, because of a little technicality, the British, the British can't, what is effectively a technicality in the, in the face of this calamity happening at the moment, the British have to abstain because of the, the, the lack of any sense of morality from Britain and the United States. It's a very uh, profound moment, I think. I want to turn our attentions to the role of the media. The media, the public, and the politics. Now, um, when you're watching the coverage, I just want to know what you've been fearful about. What, what are your views on it when you've watched, I don't know, Al Jazeera, CNN, BBC? Well, how has it played a part in, again, contributing to the divide. I mean, we've seen an increase in people being attacked. They've been anti-Semitic or Islamophobic. It's, there's been no, I say no peace, but I suppose the media could have played a part in that. I mean, what do you think about the role um, of the media in that respect? This is an ancient, this is the long ongoing problem, is that the media vilifies uh, minorities. Um, and we have seen a rise of, uh, of anti-Semitism and also Islamophobia or anti-Palestinian, anti-Arab uh, stuff. And, and it's inflamed, this is inflamed by politicians, above all, uh, the conservative 
Home Secretary Suella Braverman, yeah. who just sees her job or saw her job before she, she was finally got rid of as inflaming hatred. That is not the job of a... Why would she... <laughs> We're already in a sensitive time situation. Why would a politician do something like that? What could they possibly gain? Well, it is unfortunately very easy to see what they gain. To return to what I, the this is a I mean, this is about the suffering of the people of Gaza and Palestine. But there is also this terrible crisis has highlighted a a moment of collapse in in liberal democracy, the global system which has has governed the world since uh, as a whole since 1945. And something very frightening is happening. The attack on liberal democracy is not coming as before World War II in the 1930s when it was the Axis powers, uh, Mussolini's Italy, Germany, Japan, which which took took down the global world, world order. It's actually the liberal democracies themselves now which are taking down the global world order. And what you're seeing in politicians like Braverman, um, there's other ones, Jenrick, others members of the cabinet, they're encouraged by the British Prime Minister Sunak, who isn't strong enough really to deal with this, and across Europe, of course. Uh, what you're seeing is the, the, the emergence of a new vicious right. And in Britain, we're seeing an attempt to capture the Conservative Party by a, a group of people who are much closer to the AFD in Germany or the Front National in France. How do you close the gap? I mean, look, the fact that it sounds like politicians are using this for their own game, like, it's, like it is a game to them. How do we close this gap? How do we stop that? I th well, we, I think, first of all, we need to wake up to the fact that, and, and Gaza has has shed a huge light on this. There is a, 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 a there is an assault on human rights, democracy, everything we fought for for so long across the world. But, but to, and we have a fight. We have a fight in Britain. I feel this. We have a fight on our hands to preserve the kind of decent, relatively. Look, I mean, as you know, there's plenty of faults in Britain. Uh, yeah, but the, 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 the political structure, which was pluralistic and decent, and or tried to be, and, and which, which and stop it being captured by very bad people, and it's not obvious that we can win this fight. But this is what we've got on our hands. You can see the same thing going on in the states. I mean, where it, it's it's almost terminal. I'm going to finish how I started, and again with your words. You said, I pray that I'm wrong, but I fear Western leaders are now establishing the political foundation that would leave us complicit in massacres, indiscriminate bombing and ethnic cleansing. Now, we all know that, you know, hindsight is 2020. How will history look back on the Western governments in this conflict? Well, I, I think I wrote that very early on in, after October the 7th. And... Unfortunately, those words have been completely justified. And I think the enormous, unbearable suffering of the Palestinian people can, in a somewhat, you, I think in a way the Palestinians do represent the whole world, the suffering of the world, 
the underdogs, the the poor, the hope, the people who are oppressed. And I think through immense carnage and unspeakable sacrifice, maybe the Palestinians watching all of this can change the entire world and make us learn something. Let's hope so. Um, Peter O'Born, I really appreciate you being here center stage today. Thank you so much Thank for you this conversation. Thank you. This episode was produced in partnership with the Islam and Muslims Initiative, an international platform that connects Muslims and non-Muslims in the realms of religion, politics, business, media, academia, and civil society.